how can we build a sustainable future without fossil fuels? To do this, we must first take a closer look at the global energy trends. And today, we look at our oil addiction and the oil market. This is the Evolution Show. Welcome to The Evolution Show. I'm your host, Johan Langgren. The Evolution Show is all about connecting the dots to see the bigger picture and address some of the biggest challenges and opportunities of our time. We focus on smart energy solutions, electric transports, artificial intelligence, AI, climate, and of course, inspiration for sustainable living. In the next four episodes, we'll cover everything from the US shale boom to renewables the Strait of Hormuz, and what it means with the rising China for the energy market. And today, we'll talk about our oil addiction and the US shale boom, while in the next episode, we'll focus more on the energy security and the Strait of Hormuz, and Iran's role in an energy market. And to help me, I've invited a real energy expert, Mikael Höck. Welcome, Mikael. Thank you very much. You're head of global energy systems at Uppsala University. Yes, we have a research group within the Natural Resources and Sustainable Development Research Program at the Department of Earth Science. Yeah, and I met you, I think it was it eight or nine years ago, you, you had your disputation here in Uppsala. Yes, nine, nine years ago in September. Yeah, and uh, you wrote this uh, fantastic book, um, which is uh, your, your disputation, is, uh, and it's called Coal and oil, the dark monarchs of global energy. And I don't know if you can see this in the picture, but um, you're standing with your back against the picture and you're looking out, out I think, over some oil and um, coal fields. Um, so your speciality is basically fossil fuels, um, researching on fossil fuels. Yes. Uh, but you're also looking at the broader, broader picture Yes, yeah, so what I typically do is energy systems modeling, primarily looking at global or national energy levels. Yeah, uh, and today I thought we could uh, look at the energy market. Um, in June, uh, the BP Statistical Review of World Energy uh, 2019, um, which is the I mean, BP Statistical Review, for those who don't know that, know so much about it, it's um, an annual report that the whole industry and I think also researchers uh, look at. Yeah, I would say that it's probably a bit like the popular Bible within the field of energy statistics and energy system assessments. BP do not really compile and uh, they just compile data from other sources, but they compile it in a really convenient form that is very nice for just getting an overview. And I would highly recommend everyone to have a glance at the numbers and the fantastic spreadsheets. Yeah, and I think they have, I have read it at least, I think maybe since I uh, went to disputation. Uh, so, I mean, they have added a lot of data. Yeah. Uh, so now they are also showing renewables a lot, uh, covering it in, in depth. And uh, we'll come back to that, but they also talk about lithium, for example. Yeah, the last two years they started to add key materials. So they have cobalt and lithium and rare earth elements and essentially other traditional raw materials that are very important for green and clean energy technologies. So yeah. it's becoming much more of an all-encompassing uh, statistical uh, survey of everything that is connected to energy. Yeah. 
And for those who don't know so much about the energy market, uh, we could just from you know from start tell people that uh, a lot of things are happening in the last couple of years, especially when it comes to renewables. But still, we're very much dependent on the fossil fuels. Uh, according to BP Statistical Review, uh, for the, which shows 2018 uh, in terms of production and consumption, we're still uh, dependent on fossil fuels, especially about 85% of the whole economy or energy consumption is natural gas, coal and oil. So, um, so I thought we should look at that, but also talk about energy security and some really hot topic, which is the Strait of Hormuz. What's happening there, mm. and why, especially why Iran, Iran is quite important for the energy market. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that um, a lot of people uh, perhaps don't know uh, and realize, um, especially for the future. If we look at what they have in reserves and especially natural gas, I think, which is something yeah. we don't mention so much. Yeah, Iran has been growing in importance for quite a long time, but we will also from the global trend see the uh, other movements, especially the rising energy consumption of, of the Asia Pacific region, primarily yeah. the growth of China and India. That is becoming an even more important part of, of the global energy system. And it's important to understand the trends and the developments in, in those regions because they are the prime emitters of greenhouse gas emissions as well as uh, very significant consumers and importers of fossil energy. Yeah, so maybe we should start a little bit with the broader trends. Should we look at uh, the numbers and a little yes. bit? You have yes. some. You had some uh, graphs with you, and yeah. So we can start with that. And we start with oil because it is the largest and most important of, of the energy sources. Uh, currently accounting for something like thirty-two percent of all global uh, energy. One thing I really like with BP Statistical Review is that it uh, contains uh, global data all the way back to 1965. It is possible to go much further back in time, but then you typically need to look at international statistical manuals and so on. That is a bit more less accessible for uh, most people. Uh, but here we can see a lot of things has happened since 1960. We can see the first and the second oil crisis around 1970 and uh, 1979. Uh, but we see almost a steady linear growth since early 1980s of world oil production. And uh, of course, around 2005, we had a temporary uh, session where it was almost a... Um, almost flat world production for, for some years and it triggered a very significant hype around the concept of peak oil that uh, got a lot of attention around that time. And then came the big financial crisis in, in 2008. Yeah. And after that we, we saw the ascent of the shale oil boom and the shale gas boom that has really transformed energy markets and uh, we currently see very strong growth in North American shale developments. Yeah, I th think we should. Uh, that's really interesting, yeah. and we, I think we'll come back to that. But from start here, I think we mm. also can mention that <coughs> for most people might not know that the consumption of oil is actually still increasing. We have never consumed as much oil as we do today. No, it's, it, it is increasing quite a lot. Yeah, so that's always important to bear in mind when we talk about renewables. Yeah. It's it's great the renewables are in, are increasing more in terms of percentage per year, but still we have the conflict with having to address our dependence on the fossil fuels. So yeah, and I would say that the most important thing to realize is the difference between relative info importance and absolute importance, yeah. because in absolute terms, 
our consumption of fossil fuels is vastly larger than uh, all the renewables and also in absolute numbers we have never left the coal age the world is consuming more coal now than ever before in history but we have just stacked the oil age and the natural gas age and nuclear power and renewable energy on top of that mm. because uh, world energy consumption is just increasing and demand is, is driving everything up Okay, so let's maybe we can talk a little bit about the the shale boom. A lot of people they might think that uh, U.S. is self, you know, uh, energy um, independent and are moving towards that. But they're still, I think, uh, importing about four million or something like yeah. that. So uh, what's happening in U.S. Uh, we can go into that in depth because uh, or in some detail because um, might a lot of people might think that uh, will be you know this uh, shale boom can continue forever or something like that so wh what's what's your view on the shale production in the u.s can it continue like this and so in in, in that case how long do you think uh, there is definitely enough resources to continue for quite a long time but i would say that it's very much connected to uh, the general economic climate but if if they're lucky they could probably continue 10 20 years with current trends uh, but on the other hand, if there is a general downturn in the economy, things can diminish quite quickly due to the way shale is being produced. And we can see it here with the, in, with the drop in oil prices in 2014, <laughs> a lot of the drilling for shale actually diminished. And then we saw a, a small dip uh, in uh, total production almost immediately. So if there is a long term economic turmoil or something like that in the US, it, it could uh, begin to decline pretty quick. I, I read uh, there's a guy called Arthur Berman, I, you know about him. He, I heard, read an interview, I heard an interview with him quite recently and said that according to his numbers, they're picking the low hanging fruits and have, have been in the Permian yeah. Basin and so yeah. on. And he's, he, according to his estimate at least, is he said that maybe around 2025, 20 he, he, he is expecting at least, um, some form of peak plateau uh, he, he doesn't say that it will decline immediately from that mm. but something like reaching at the plateau um, and of course that's um, uh, based on the today's numbers in terms of oil price and so on and the economy growing and so on so what do you think about that do you think that it can happen earlier as well uh, or i mean in terms of the reaching a, a peak for the for the shale production at it least could happen earlier if there is something really dramatic happening but in that case it would not be anything connected to the amount of available resources it could be like a major uh, political turmoil or uh, a policy that would for instance prevent drilling from being done in, in new states and things like that so it would be much more connected to regulations not really available resources and production technology uh, but there is also uh, a good reason to expect shale boom to continue for quite a long time as well uh, because they are doing very significant technological developments and right now we are seeing uh, production uh, increases that are very rapid last year uh, us increased by 16 percent and that's a very significant growth of the world's largest oil producer if they can grow with 16 percent in one year it's the largest uh, recorded increase of a major oil producer in history, so it's a very significant event. And part of that is also connected to 
uh, the technological development of shale oil extraction. Uh, typically they can see cost reductions of 20% per year with newer, uh, more cheap uh, ways of producing it. So they are keeping a pretty close pace to the development of PV and other things in terms of technological innovation. So they are really investing heavily in, in shale oil and it's uh, turning out quite well as well. Okay, but that's in my ears, of course, that's worrying <laughs> because yeah. uh, we want to keep as much as of the fossil fuel in, as possible in the ground. Yeah. So that's something uh, we really have to address. Um, but also uh, there is another problem I think we have to consider is that uh, the US shale bomb, I mean, the export of uh, the US shale, shale oil is also connected to um, the, the importance of mixing different types of oils. As I understood it, lifting the ex export ban uh, in the US 2014 or 15, I think mm -hmm. it was, um, was also related to um, the refining capacity in the US. As it is now, um, there are actually no refineries in the US that can refine the shale oil. I, I mean, in, at least in terms of making it into pure like gasoline or, or diesel and so on, you have to mix in something else, some other kind of oils, uh, like uh, oils from Venezuela, heavier types of oils, or from, from Iran as well. So uh, I think it's important to, to also uh, mention that um, they are exporting more from the US because they simply can't refine it on their own market. So that's also something that, uh, I mean, if in other, other uh, refining capacities, there are, I don't think there are, you know this better than me, of course, but I, as I understood it, there are no refineries that can just take in 100% shale oil. You have to mix it with other oils. So that's also something that is connected to um, the recent uptrend, uh, uptick in uh, US uh, export of shale oil. And, and perhaps that's not a sustainable um, development in long term. If we don't have the refining capacity, we still have to have the other oils. So, yeah, I would say that I would say partly agree with that picture as well. Uh, one problem with the refining capacity in the US is that it has been pretty old and it was mostly built for heavier oils when when they started to develop the sour and heavier parts of US oil in 1970s, but they are making new investments and trying to revamp them a bit more for the lighter and sweeter type of oil that uh, shale oil actually is. But uh, maybe in five, ten years, a new fleet of upgraded refineries or new refineries could be on stream. Uh, we should also remember that from a political point of view, shale oil is very attractive for many decision makers in the US because it will create jobs on US soil. It will first of all create jobs for drillers and in the boom towns, but also with more refineries moving back to the US or increased refining capacity in the US. It's uh, almost a patriotic type of energy source that will benefit the country and provide uh, stable long-term jobs for many Americans. And this is why it is being widely embraced by many decision makers and it is doing a very significant uh, contribution to the US economy. Yeah. And they are very close actually to achieving the goal of being energy independent. They are consuming slightly less than uh, 20 million dollars, uh, 20 million barrels per day. And in a few years it is entirely possible that shale oil will bring them uh, to the break even point of being completely self-sufficient. And this is uh, something that will have a major repercussions for the world global energy markets as well with a major importer completely disappearing. And another point I would like to raise on that topic is also that the um, 
significant growth of shale in the US. It almost led to this oil glut with uh, we saw for instance uh, West Texas intermediate prices being somewhat like $10 cheaper than the Brent prices and lifting the export ban was also a bit connected to harmonizing energy prices as well so US uh, oil producers could actually export their oil and get a bit more paid than it would be on American soil so it that's is a good point I was going to the export definitely and I was th- I would say that it's it's not only about harmonizing but it's also about making it possible for them to be economically viable there yeah. are f- m- a lot of companies that have, have, have gone bust uh, in yeah. the US shale market now they are as I mentioned they are focusing on smaller areas and big companies they have become more efficient as you said and, and so on but uh, still if it's um, difference on 10 dollars d- per barrel between the v- WTI and the Brent uh, that makes a whole lot of difference <laughs> for them yeah. so th- that's a really good point to ma- to yeah. mention i think yeah and the shale market is is uh, quite interesting it is almost undergoing a trial by fire where many different companies started to jump on this train with shale oil and yeah. then some of them went bankrupt and others uh, more more or less strengthened quite a lot by the very harsh competition and, and, uh, and the bad returns but now when they have improved quite a lot they are actually making quite a lot of money yeah and going pretty well. The, the, we, we could talk, talk, I think, a lot about the shale. There are so many protests ab- yeah. against it uh, outside yeah. US, but in the US, as you said, I think yeah. it's very important for them. And yeah. so, so uh, yeah. And I would say shale, shale is also quite interesting for global reasons because you have some people that are almost expecting the same kind of shale booms to mm. occur in other countries outside mm. the US. Mm. But uh, this far we have seen very limited developments of shales in, for instance, Poland and many other countries where yeah. test drillings has been quite yeah. unsuccessful and there haven't really been any commercial activities starting. There are no. some in China, but it's still quite small level. Yeah, and I think we can just mention before we move on that uh, part of it is, uh, of course, you have to drill a lot of them, yeah. a lot of uh, holes, a lot yeah. of uh, sites. and. Um, the peak is happening of the production is happening in within two or three years and you have 70 percent of the production yeah. and then it's th- declining yeah so so that's you have to drill a lot of, a lot of yes. uh, hole uh, just to make up for the decline yeah so it is very drilling intensive of yeah. course if you have a lot of land available and you have plenty of good shales you can uh, produce a lot of oil but yeah. they typically have very short lifetimes compared to yeah. conventional oil fields yeah uh, and in the US it has also been very beneficial by the geographical aspects as well. If you look at Texas where they have, for instance, Permian Basin and they have Eagle Ford, it's very flat, very nice country, so it's yeah. easy to move around drilling rigs. And if you compare development in that kind of area with, for instance, China, where it's a lot of hills and it's a lot harder to move around large amounts of trucks and heavy drilling equipment yeah. in the countryside, it would be much harder for them to drill a lot of holes and move around quickly yeah but also there is a lot of regulations and so on that is also differing between the country in the u.s typically a landowner will own everything under his land all the way down to the center of the earth mm. but in many other countries you typically have the state that is owning the natural resource yeah. so you do not really get the same royalty in ta- incentives and things like that so you will uh, will very easily expect much more local resistance yeah and this has been quite a lot of hurdle in, in Poland and also in UK when they have tried to develop because, yeah. trail. And before I just want to mention, I mean, because of env- environmental concerns, you have seen effects on both uh, groundwater 
uh, and also even in the US in Oklahoma they had their first registered earthquake ever <laughs> recorded and it was quite high yeah. so it, it can has have those effects as well but okay let's move on and uh, look at some more trends and if we look at uh, world oil consumption is also an interesting trend i would say uh, we see the same kind of steady increase in world consumption and now it is very close to 100 million barrels per day of annual consumption and that is of course including all forms of oil even bio oils and so on that is being mixed in but the interesting thing here is that a couple of years ago we actually saw the non-OECD countries overtaking the OECD countries as the largest oil consumers. And this is uh, interesting for several reasons. Uh, it's so more or less connected to the rapid growth of the Chinese economy and the BRICS countries and so on. So most of the economic development is occurring outside OECD countries and this is also where the oil is moving. Mm. And if we for instance look at the European Union. It has been almost steady since uh, 1980s. Very little has happened. And despite climate discussions and so on, there is a very gentle slope here towards the end, but it is essentially flat. And that's because of energy transition we see in Europe, or is it? What's what's your conclusion there? Yeah, I would say that it's part partly connected to the energy transition as well, but uh, uh, also increased development. We will have some slides that will expand a bit more on that later when it yeah. we come to emissions actually. But uh, I would say that the momentum and the actual engines of oil consumption is occurring in primarily the Asia Pacific region. Yeah. and also another thing with uh, with consumption, if we just go back uh, it is not really possible to extract directly from from this figure but it's also interesting to look at what kind of sectors that are consuming oil and of course about 50 percent of all the oil is connected to road transportation but some of the largest uh, increases in oil demand actually comes from the petrochemical sector so more and more oil is also being diverted into making plastics and petrochemical products and that is also important to remember so oil is not just about what kind of fuel you use for your cars a larger and larger amount of the oil is actually being transformed into plastics and we mm. use more and more plastic every day yeah yeah that's a good point uh, that's good, good you mentioned it's not just transports uh, and so on it's it's in basically everything indirectly or directly yeah. you know materials and so on yeah and same same thing here if uh, it is also world oil production just divided up by subregions and we see that for instance europe is experiencing quite small and insignificant uh, development with uh, the North Sea in, in pretty steep decline and very little new contribution to oil production while for instance Russia and the, uh, the Commonwealth of Independent State is keeping quite steadily but most of the growth is associated with North American shales and also a pretty steady increase from uh, Middle East. Yeah. And I think I, I read some, uh, I looked at the numbers a year ago or something that was uh, between 2014 and now 2018, I think 70% of the increase is basically US and 30%, almost 30% is from Canada, from yeah. tar sands in Canada. Yeah. So if you exclude those, we would have basically yeah. peak oil or, or or decline even. Yeah, and it's very much also connected to definitions of conventional and unconventional yes. oil. If we yeah. look at the plateau we talked about earlier in 2005, conventional oil yes. is uh, more or less steady since 2005. So all the growth after that has been uh, connected to unconventional oils such as the tar sands of Canada, the extra heavy oil of Venezuela or 
North American shales. Yeah, so, so that I was going to ask that. Yeah. What's the difference between the conventional yeah. and unconventional? But it's there. There are many ways to define them. The I would say the the more subjective definition is that conventional oil is essentially what everyone is doing, and the unconventional type of oil is the so-called technological frontier region where people is doing the latest fanciest way of extracting oil and for instance if you looked at 1950s then every oil production would be on land and they considered uh, oil platforms in the sea to be highly unconventional but today we for instance see offshore oil production as pretty conventional uh, and so on the other, there are also geological ways to define unconventional oil based on oil viscosity or for instance sulfur content and then you get something that is a bit more steady over time and do not really change with what people actually are doing and one way of dividing them is based on viscosity where you for instance have tar sands and extra heavy oil as a highly, a highly viscous oil it's very thick almost tar like types of oil where, for instance, uh, porosity and the permeability of reservoirs can also be used, where you, for instance, have shale oil. It is also being called light, tight oil because it occurs in reservoirs that are typically very tight, meaning that the permeability is low and it is very hard for fluids to move without artificial help. And this is why we need to use fracking to introduce more cracks to yeah. make it easier for the oil to move to the yeah. production wells. But I think you became mentioned fracking also because uh, it's also a matter of eco economic uh, yeah. uh, conditions. I mean, if you look at um, un unconventional oil, for example, the tar sands in Canada uh, or shale oil in the US, they're extremely energy intensive. So the energy return on energy invested as or the net energy yeah. uh, in terms of how much how much energy and, and um, uh, money do you have to to invest and how much do you get out and th there you can see a big difference between the conventional and unconventional oils uh, i would say uh, yeah i would say that it also depends a bit on how people define their eye in their studies there are some studies for instance being done by Adam brandt and so on that point to a rise of shale oils uh, in, in one to 40 or something like that so it is definitely on par with the more complicated forms of conventional oil so uh, uh, but in, if, if everything is the same and we use the same definition, I would say that unconventional oil tends to be slightly more complicated to extract and slightly lower energy return. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it is not uh, the all governing parameter of extraction. No, 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 I understand. It's complicated, but yeah. yeah. Okay, but uh, let's see, we move on here. Yeah. Yeah, and oil prices is also something that uh, people uh, tend to be quite quite interested by, and uh, the world has uh, underwent several quite significant changes in oil prices. Back in 1960s, we saw those early peaks in in, uh, uh, and then we see a very long time period of quite flat oil prices, and then we saw the first oil crisis and the second. But we have quite many decades now of uh, increasing general oil price and. Uh, it will be very interesting to see what will happen with the latest now when we have oil prices around $65 per year. If it will be higher or yeah. if increased production will actually lead to another oversupply of oil with diminishing oil yeah, prices. And it, yeah, and it's important, I think, to mention here that uh, around 60, uh, the, the number $60 per barrel is very important for the shale production. Yeah. Uh, there are fields that can go a little bit lower in terms of price but most of them they are, i think they have a break even or, yeah. or actually make some money some of them yeah. uh, right now but 
Uh, if it, it would increase, of course, there would be more companies going after the shale oil. Yeah. But and if it would go down, then you would have less. And, and then you have this you know, war between uh, OPEC and, and shale, shale production. So, Yeah, but I would say par part of the problem with those kind of graphs with average prices versus uh, what kind of oil that can be extracted, it, it is that they tend to focus on average prices. And that is not really the same as marginal prices. And if you look at US shales, you have some companies that can probably produce shales of $40 per barrel and still make a profit. So, mm. But those are quite few, I think. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, you have, yeah. I understand what you yeah, mean. Yeah, but the, the very rapid technological development is also bringing them down. When mm. shale oil started to be uh, interesting and people started to do an uh, actual analysis on them, they talked about break-even prices of $75 or $80 per barrel, and now it is down to between 50 and 60, a bit mm. dependent on what kind of analysis has done the study. So it's, mm. it's definitely uh, being pushed down quite significantly yeah. by the technological development. Yeah, th yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And, and a technolo technological development and also a change market where the, the most efficient ones are, are yeah. remaining and the others, they are, yeah. they, they are not able to, to work anymore. I mean, the investors... Mm. Yeah, yeah. That, that's and that is usually the factor that people tend to <laughs> forget when when uh, when they talk too much about very pessimistic outlooks for future oil production back in 2005 people thought that the arctic would be the final frontier for oil and they talked about the break even price of maybe 90 or 100 dollars per barrel in yeah. order to make arctic oil viable but now almost no investments are being done in Arctic oil and, and people are generally not very interested in Arctic oil because it makes much more sense to actually invest in shales because the break-even price is lower and it's uh, a lot easier to access. Yeah. So uh, Arctic is, is quite cold from an investment front and if you look at investments in oil industry, something like half of them or more than half typically goes to North American shales because yeah. they, they bring most bang for the money yeah if you enjoyed this conversation feel free to continue the conversation in the comments below on monday we turn our attention to a real hot topic and talk about energy security with the strait of hormuz and iran's role in the energy market if you want to see the videos as soon as they come out consider subscribing as always we appreciate your feedback was it good or bad I hope to see you on Monday for the next episode. Uh -huh.